Welcome to the Granite Gals podcast. This is the podcast where we interview female hikers who hike the right mountains. I am Alexandra Her, And I am Sage Her. We are 14 and 12 year old hikers who have been hiking the 4,000 footers since we were little. We have done the 4,000 footers, the 52 with the view, trail rights, and many other mountains. The opinions that we personally express in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our interviewee or of any organizations we may mention. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Granite Gals. Today we are interviewing Rachel Kowalski, a four-season hiker who has done the long trail and is section hiking the AT. Also, as well as having done a normal round of the 4Ks, she has also started another round for rheumatoid arthritis. Her blog is called Such Great Heights, and it can be found at sghnh48.blogspot.com. Welcome to Granite Gals. Thanks for having me, guys. Why do you like to hike? Lots of different reasons. One, time with my dog. You know, just being out on the trails with the dog is kind of the best thing ever in my book. For the exercise, to be out in nature, to test my limits. Uh, For the longest time being sick, I didn't have any limits, and now I get to kind of test them and see how far I can go. You know, so hiking hiking and I have a mutual relationship. So what is your favorite mountain, and why is it your favorite? Um, And also, what's your specifically your favorite 4K and why? Climbed a lot of mountains, but the one that I kept coming back to is always Stratton Mountain over in Vermont. And it's not so much that it's a large mountain. It's really just a tiny little bump, but the experiences that I've had on it have been so great. And up at the top, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Stratton Mountain at all. There's a caretaker of a husband and wife that live there like half of the year, Hugh and Jean. They're always up there, it seems, when I get up there. And when I was doing the long trail, that was a hard day for me. It had rained. Everything was wet. <laughs> I was in the dunks. And I dragged my butt up to the top of that mountain. And I sat down on a bench near their cabin. And Jean came out and she gave me the best pep talk ever. <laughs> and I swear to God, that's what kept me going on that section of the long trail. So I've always gone back to that mountain as a favorite, probably more because of the people than because of the climb. But the climb is nice, too. Are there a lot of views from that mountain? On the fire tower. There's a side trail to the ski slopes that you can get some pretty decent views. It's just, it's pretty right up above treeline when you get up into the fire tower. It's a good one. They sound like really nice people. Oh, God, they have so many stories. You could probably (laughs) spend like half the day up there chatting about different experiences because they've done so much hiking, too, that they just love to share it with people. And there's bear up there and there's moose and everything's coming through. A bear actually tried to break into their cabin at one point. Oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they live sustainably up there. So there are lots of um, environmental ideas and things like that. So you could really just talk forever. You know? So how about your favorite 4K? Mount Adams. You know, I, um, I often say to people that it's a privilege to climb Mount Adams Like Mount Adams gives you permission to climb it and to succeed. It's a hard one to get on a good day. And even on some of the marginal days, you're like, why am I doing this? And then when you get up there, it's such a great feeling. I actually ended my winter list on Mount Adams with the dog. (laughs) So both of us are up there on a, it was a pretty okay day, but it was such a privilege to end on Mount Adams that I literally, I thanked the mountain. It's one of those difficult climbs that you never forget. Yeah. 
You are currently section hiking the Appalachian Trail. What do you enjoy about this process? Is there anything you don't like? Uh, I don't like some of the logistics. I'm a solo hiker, so trying to plan drop-offs and pickups and trying to be on time. I do a lot of north to south and south to north because of it. Like this past weekend, I went out for the whole weekend. So I ended up going northbound, and then I had to come back southbound to get to the car. So I'm doing a lot of the trail in both directions, which is interesting. Maybe not the best plan, but it works for us right now. So in terms of um, what I love about it, I get to see something new every weekend. You know, And I might be in what's called the Green Tunnel, but occasionally it pops out into some pretty decent views. And right. occasionally you know, I, I do climb a couple of mountains here and there. But I just I get to see all kinds of different terrain and, and just have a nice walk in the woods. And right now that it's prime time for through hikers, I meet so many great people. And I carry fresh fruit for them too. On top of section hiking, I provide a little trail magic. So it's it's kind of nice all around. You know, and I'm I'm enjoying it. You you said that you you go northbound or southbound, then you go the other way. Yeah. How does going northbound compare to going southbound? I've found, especially in New Hampshire, that northbound is a little bit easier, and I tend to enjoy it a lot better. Why is that? For the ease of it. You know, it's not as jarring on my knees. My ankles don't (laughs) scream at me. (laughs) And then by the time I'm ready to turn around, my body's conditioned to it, so I just kind of sail down south. I don't know. It's just northbound seems like a logical direction to me. Like, even when I did the long trail, I was northbound. It just seems like right now, northbound on the AT is the best, too. Most Appalachian thru-hikers seem to go northbound, so... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the majority that I'm meeting right now, they're all northbounders. But I'm sure the southbounders will be coming through soon. Yeah. So, speaking of the long trail, what was that like? Would you tell someone who was considering doing this thru-hike to do it, or would you not? Oh, absolutely. I highly recommend that trail. For me, it was interesting. Started out with a plan to do two long sections, you know, just kind of split it in half. Two weeks one time and then two weeks another time. But I got sick in the middle, so that's how it extended to three weeks. The first long section, I went 150 miles. I had never done anything like this in my life. And I've got a dog with me. (laughs) Like, it's a recipe for disaster. (laughs) Um, I thought about quitting every day. I hated the rain. I hated having everything wet and then having to stop and dry everything out. And it just seemed like such a tedious thing. But in the end, my worst days were my best days, grown stronger for the experience. And I just recommend it to everybody. The long trail as a whole, it starts out really easy. And then once you hit Lincoln Gap where the 4Ks start, you know, the real serious ones, that's when it gets hard. And that's where you really want to be watching what you're doing and watching your pack weight. And that's when like everything kind of comes into play. Mm -hmm. But if you keep your head about you, it's such an awesome trip. And then it gets really rugged up North. You deal with a lot more blowdowns and a lot more um, hurricane damage. So you've really got to know your uh, navigation skills too, because a lot of the trail up there is really obscured. How did Isis handle the hike? She does well. She's always done well on the trail. I raised her on the trail. So when we did the long trail together, I knew that her max was like 12 to 15 miles a day. For a 16-pound dog, that's pretty decent. Her paws are well-conditioned because I have pavement all around my house. So she really doesn't get bothered by the rocks or anything like that because she's got tough little paws. And she lets me know when she doesn't want to go anymore. And then it's like, okay, we got to find camp. 
you know, and I, and I listen to her. When I hike with her, it's not it's not my hike, it's her hike. Um, and then somehow at the end, it turns into both of our hike. She's a tough little girl. Did you meet a lot of people on the long trail? Oh, absolutely. If you start out northbound, you're in North Adams, Mass. And for the first, like, 100 or so miles, it's the AT. So you're doing it in the summertime. You're with all the AT through hikers that are coming through. At the AT split after Killington, then it gets a little bit quieter. Then you're only down to like a handful or maybe 15 hikers or so, depending upon when you go. The first two trips I did were in July and August, so they were pretty busy. My final leg was in June. I was all alone for that. It was crazy. I maybe met up with one or two people that were doing like extreme section hiking or they would like get off trail at night and come back on. So I was the only one in the shelters and I was the only one on the trail for the longest time. So I got pretty good at talking to myself and talking to the dog. (laughs) So um, where else have you hiked outside of the White Mountains? What did you like about it? Well, I really, um, yeah, I've I've hiked in Massachusetts and and I've hiked in Vermont, obviously, and I've hiked in Maine doing like the 67 and things like that. I haven't really gone outside of New England yet, working on it. Those states outside of the White Mountains, Vermont is beautiful for its greenery, and it's kind of less rugged than New Hampshire. I like the mellowness of the Vermont trails. Of course, I like the ruggedness of the main trails if I want an extra challenge. And just getting into Massachusetts on the AT, that is a lot flatter, so I find myself enjoying my speed. (laughs) Are the main trails generally more rugged than New, than New Hampshire's or less rugged? Main trails, I would say they're a little bit more rugged. They're a little bit more backcountry, a little bit less traveled. Uh, I enjoy them for the solitude. You know, I, I love the White Mountains, but I like the quietness of some of the other trails that I've been on. And when I was doing the 67 in Maine, that was the one thing that I really enjoyed. Quiet trails and getting up to a quiet summit and just sitting there. Hmm. You know, and, and looking out, like on the Bigelows, you look out over all those lakes and everything, and you just get that feeling of, yep, I'm at peace here. That must be nice. <laughs> it was. So when did your hiking dog companion, Isis, start to hike? Can you tell us about her more? Sure. I, I love talking about Isis. Um, Isis was a complete and utter impulse buy. I'm not kidding you. I was with my ex. We were driving around one day and we'd always talked about getting a dog. And he pulls into a breeder over in Pittsfield, New Hampshire. And I'm like, okay, I guess we might be getting a dog tonight. I was originally looking at German Shepherds, but thankfully Isis caught my eye. And she's just, she was just a little three month old thing. My house is very small. So a German Shepherd would have swallowed my living room. (laughs) But Isis, you know, she stole my heart. I bought her that night. You know, yep, I bought my dog because I exhausted all the shelters. I just couldn't find one that was going to fit my lifestyle. And then Isis fell into my lap, and I just, I couldn't give her up. So we brought her home, and I had her checked out by the vet immediately. And I told the vet my plan and was advised to start her in wintertime. And she hit Tecumseh at four months old. Wow. Yeah, and she's been hiking with me ever since. And she gets checked out by a vet every two, every six months, so twice a year. And I haven't had any complaints yet. Doctor says she's perfectly healthy. I don't get the obesity speech from the vet, and she's perfectly happy. 
That's good. And she's, she sees me get the pack together and she wants to go right away. <laughs> we're kind of attached at the hip. <laughs> she's always by my side. When were you diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease? Is this a type oh. of rheumatoid arthritis or mm-hmm. is that a separate condition? And how has your lifestyle it's, been affected? It's two separate conditions. Okay. The Hashimoto's disease actually came, I was diagnosed in 2009. I was feeling really sick and, you know, there was advised that I go to a doctor and I'm not one to go to a doctor. In 40 something years of life, I hate doctors. <laughs> so I went and I received the diagnosis after some blood work. And what it is, is I have a, either a very fast thyroid, which is basically your control center for your hormones and things like that, or I have a very slow thyroid. It can go either way. Hmm. So it gets kind of confusing in my head. And that basically sidelined me for the summer of 2009. I was on the couch. I either, I had a heart monitor attached to me at one point because it affects my heart a little bit. It affects my respiratory system. It has a lot to say about what my body does. And I got, I got pissed. I was so pissed at myself because I'm an active person. And then I kind of got myself together, said, you know, this is what it is. I started researching diet and exercise and figured out that a lot of things with autoimmune diseases, which is what Hashimoto's is, it has a lot to do with how you eat and how you exercise. You know, doctors aren't kidding when they say eat right and exercise because then you kind of don't have these issues. So I became caffeine-free, gluten-free, no processed sugar, no processed foods. You're probably wondering what I eat, right? (laughs) (laughs) And not really a total health nut, but pretty close. And on top of that, I started walking. And it was just local rail trails. Then I got bored, and that's when the hiking came in. In 2010, I started hiking. And then in 2011, that was when I started the 4Ks. So the Hashimoto's disease is kind of what I credit for me getting into hiking. Yeah. And I was, I was doing great. I was feeling good. I was, you know, kicking butt on the trails. And in the middle of my long trail trip, I started feeling my hands going numb a little bit. And this is what's going to lead into the rheumatoid arthritis. Fast forward to 2015, end of the trip, I start feeling some numbness in my hands, but I hate doctors, so I ignore it. Then comes back around and I'm getting ready for my 2016 trip. I'm all pumped. I'm going to finish this trip and we're going to move on to the AT and we're going to have a good old time. Not necessarily. My shoulders totally swelled up. I thought it was my pack. My elbows froze up, couldn't move my arms. So my hands were like two cartoon balloons, like literally. And I had no clue what was going on at this point. I had just gotten myself off trail um, from the middle section of my uh, long trail experience and I don't like doctors so I classically tried to take care of myself but it got to a point where the balloons were now going down to my elbows so I was completely swollen and my shoulders were also freezing up I carry a backpack for work too and I couldn't carry that I was like well this isn't good so I went to a walk-in clinic and they said oh you have tendonitis and I'm like okay, great. I can just take a couple of muscle relaxers and I'll be okay in about a week, you know, and everything will kind of heal itself. So I did that and it did go away. And then it came back. And about mid-September, it just kept getting worse and worse. And then it was in my feet. And that was the worst thing because 
it literally feels like you have these marbles in your feet and you have to walk on them and it's painful. My shoes weren't fitting. My clothes weren't fitting. I was gaining weight. And then November came and I got the worst case of laryngitis ever. I lost my voice for a month and it turns out it was related to the rheumatoid arthritis. But they initially thought, oh, you have, you have laryngitis. We'll give you a drug called prednisone, which eliminates any swelling whatsoever. So I had the very, like, best five days of my life with no swelling at all. My voice kind of came back a little bit, but again, it went away. So I went back to another doctor. Turns out I had strep throat on top of it, which is actually kind of rolls into the rheumatoid arthritis. December, I went to my regular primary doctor, and that's when he said, well, I've got to make a referral because this is what it looks like. Wasn't thrilled. I told him to shut up. I have that relationship with my doctor. I've been seeing him (laughs) for about five years. He started with me when I had the thyroid issue. So we just, we have a good relationship. Referred me to a specialist for rheumatoid arthritis. And from there, you know, she, she did everything that she could. It was rheumatoid arthritis, she said. She gave me two prescriptions, one for another dose of prednisone and another one. For, I'm on a daily drug now called Plaquenil, which is actually a malaria drug. Wow. So it's, it's kind of funky that it has a dual purpose to it. So I'm protected against malaria and my rheumatoid arthritis feels better. It's, <laughs> it's crazy, you know, um, but the thing of it is, it took a good two or three months for it to all work together to bring the swelling back down so that I could actually feel normal again. And along with that, my stamina went back up because I was also sleeping at about 14 hours a day during this whole thing. Like I'd literally come home from work and go to bed. That was my life because I was just exhausted. You carry a fever when you have rheumatoid arthritis too. When I have flare-ups, I spike a fever. So if you think about it, all the hiking that I did the end of last year, I did with a high fever, with rheumatoid arthritis, no voice, strep throat, just one of those things that happened to me. And so that's how the rheumatoid arthritis round came about. At the end of that doctor's appointment in January, I looked at my mother, you know, my 70-something-year-old mother, and I said, Mom, we're going back to the 48. And she said, what? <laughs> I said, well... I got to do something because I can't just sit around and wait. So I started another round of the 48 and I plan on finishing it in between stints on the Appalachian trail, my section hiking. I got a lifetime to do it. I'm, I'm not in any rush anymore. I don't have to break speed records. I just, I just want to hike and have fun and show people that if you have roadblocks, if you have illnesses, as long as you're taking care of yourself, you can do this. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. As far as my diet is kind of, it's self-imposed. It's something that I researched myself. I am gluten-free, no processed foods, so essentially organic, no processed white sugar. Like I'll use cane sugar in my recipes instead of white sugar that everybody else uses. No caffeine. I haven't had caffeine for about six years. So many people are addicted to caffeine. (laughs) I used to work overnights. I know what the caffeine does. Mm -hmm. Um, but I haven't had it for six years, and I, and I actually feel really better. Because a lot of what I cut out, um, I cut out red meat, too, is what's called inflammatory foods. So all of those foods that make me blow up like a balloon, I've eliminated them. 
which helps my swelling, which allows me to keep moving. That's really amazing. And the hiking really seems to help. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing, too. All of my research, when I found out I had rheumatoid arthritis, I was like, well, what can I do for exercise? You know, thinking to myself, I can't do what I love because I'm in such pain. And every everything I read was like, go for a walk, go for a hike. I'm like, okay, I guess I can keep doing what I do. You know, I just had to get to that point where I could get back to it. Right. So have you ever experienced sexism on the trail? Only once, I would say. And this was way back in my very early days of hiking when I first started the original round of the 48 that I did. And I was coming up the Crawford Path. And I saw this shadow figure something was like watching me come up the path like intently so I just I keep keep walking I got my butt my backpack on and it was cold it was September so I'm all bundled up you know I got my hat my gloves whatever I'm huffing and I'm puffing and I'm walking up and all of a sudden he looks at me and he goes pretty good for a girl oh yeah I I looked at him and I went oh thanks how did you get up here and (sighs) In his Jersey accent, he says, I drove up. (sighs) Oh, that's wonderful. You know, why don't you and I have a chat when you get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, walk up a big hill, and get to right where I'm standing. Right. (laughs) And then I just walked away. Because he was in sneakers and a jean jacket. And, you know, (laughs) as far as other hikers, I haven't really experienced that kind of sexism you get the the kind of comments like oh you're out here all by yourself because i do a lot of solo hiking and i'm like yep but i've also got all the essentials and i got a dog so i'm not really alone (laughs) it must Um, be so frustrating it can be but it's i don't consider it like serious sexism it's just more concern um it's only when you know guys make pretty good for a girl comments that i really kind of flip out yes um, other than that, I get a lot of respect on the trails and pretty much just kind of keep to myself. So tell us about your most memorable animal encounters on the trail, besides your dog. <laughs> the most memorable one was on the long trail. Second or third day in, I was walking some power lines. I was kind of paying attention to ISIS, and I looked up quickly, and I saw this big old black butt in front uh-huh. of me. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, that's a bear. That's not a moose. That's a bear. <laughs> Thankfully, the dog was being quiet enough. The bear wasn't really catching any scent or anything. And it just kind of kept walking in front of us, away from us. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, please don't turn around. Please don't. Just don't catch any scent. Don't turn around. You know, I, I like my dog. I like me. I like to keep hiking. <laughs> so big old bear butt walking away from me is my big old animal story but other than that it's like a bunch of chipmunks at um shelters sharing dinners with me one porcupine at um spruce ledge camp isis was dead tired in the shelter because they have doors on them i was outside eating my dinner and this porcupine was just kind of hanging out with me wow thankfully you know i didn't have to deal with any quills or anything like that so um do you like hiking when there is a lot of people on the trail or just when there's a small amount or no one and you did mention you like solo hiking a lot. Do you prefer solo hiking to hiking in a group? I like solo hiking a lot better than, than being in a group. I find that the type of person that I am, I, I worry about everybody. And if I'm in a group, I'm worried about everybody and I'm worried about myself keeping up. So I find solo hiking, I'm just responsible for me and my dog. As far as crowds on the trails, 
I like a moderate crowd because I do like talking to people. I like a somewhat less crowded summit sometimes. So often I'll choose like a less popular summit on some of the really good days just so I can get some kind of peace and quiet because that's kind of why I do go out there to kind of think about things and process my week and figure out what my next moves are going to be kind of. So what's next? Do you have any plans for the future that are hiking related? I'm off to Massachusetts. Um, Last weekend, I finished the Appalachian Trail in New Hampshire, finally, after six years. Wow. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Amazing. I'm I'm officially moving on to the state of Massachusetts. I'll probably start down in the Connecticut border and work my way north to uh, uh, Bascom Lodge up on Greylock. And from there, I'll do Connecticut. And then I'm going to loop around and do Maine into New Hampshire, and then I'll have done what I really want to do is just hike all the Appalachian Trail in New England. So, And in between that, I'll be hitting the 4Ks probably when it gets a little bit colder, when the crowds kind of die down a little bit. So that's when you'll see me kind of picking up on the 4K for rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, so now here are some questions unrelated to hiking, which we ask everyone who is a guest on the podcast. What do you do for a living? I'm a social worker. I work for a company called... Home Healthcare Hospice and Community Services. Now, that's a mouthful. (laughs) It's here in Keene, New Hampshire. I work for a small team of eight or nine women, and we're we're called the Healthy Starts Program. And what I do is I help disadvantaged families who maybe are homeless, might have drug issues. Some are pregnant. Some are having difficult pregnancies. So I deal with conception to 19 years old. So I have a very wide range of clients, and I, and I love it to death. You know, I'll bend over backwards to get these people on benefits, to make sure that they have food in their house, to make sure that these babies have the right start to their lives. Um, a lot of the babies that I work with are born addicted to substances, so it can be kind of heartbreaking. But to see them succeed, it's like the best feeling ever. Or like a mother who has been homeless, who finally gets a job, who finally gets an apartment, whose daughter finally gets into daycare so that they can just continue on with their lives and flourish. It's the best feeling ever. So I really enjoy my work. That's such a noble profession. Thank you. It can, it can be hard, but um, it's, it's a good one. So I know you said you can't eat a lot, but uh, (laughs) what is your favorite food? (laughs) Tater tots. (laughs) all those are good yes they are i love tater tots sometimes i'll do cheese and gravy sometimes i'll do mustard i yeah (laughs) what's your favorite non-hiking related book the art of racing in the rain what's that have you ever heard of it it's um it's a dog related book it's told from the dog's point of view of how he comes into this family and how he lives and how his master leaves the TV on for him. So that's how he learns English, you know, (laughs) Um, and how he tries to communicate with them. And there's some heartbreaking moments and it goes all the way through the dog's life cycle. So it has a kind of sad ending, but then it it uplifts and that's the part I'm not going to give away. Sounds interesting. If you could either fly or be invisible, which one would you choose and why? I want to fly because I want to see so much more. You, you get up there, you can see everything for miles and miles and miles. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Dogs or cats? Both. <laughs> I wonder. Both. I have a cat somewhere around this house. Of course, Isis. So I, I'm a both person. Okay. Chips or popcorn? Popcorn. Definitely popcorn. But I put dill on mine. Hmm. 
Cheddar or Swiss? Cheddar. And if you had to pick one, summer hiking or winter hiking in the whites? Winter. I think it's just so much more beautiful. Thank you. It was great chatting with you. It was great chatting with you guys, too. When I get back to the whites, I hope to see you guys out there. The preservation of the environment is important if we want to continue having beautiful mountains to hike. We strongly encourage you to donate to Union of Concerned Scientists, or UCS. It is an amazing organization that does important scientific research to help prevent negative effects of climate change. You can learn more about UCS and donate to their organization at ucsusa.org.